Show number 81 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. There. 81. 81. We're up to show 81. We are. It's show 81, and it's in the year 2008, so that's a lot of eights. Yeah. All together. Let's play Crazy Eights! Woo! Okay. <laughs> Uh, let's see. So we have some newsy things, because we haven't really done a news section in a while. That's right. News from around his butt. News from around his butt. So let me start off with, um, uh, this thing, which is actually, um, real news. And, <laughs> real. well, you know, um, so we had mentioned before, uh, in previous shows that there was going to be this thing about Star Trek The Tour. Yeah. But we didn't have a whole lot of information about it. Well, now there's more information because they actually did a press release for it. So I'm going to read some of this. Um, Star Trek The Tour. Is that Star Trek colon The Tour or just Star Trek The Tour? Anyway. Might be Star Trek dash The, the Tour. tour. Star Trek comma The yeah. Tour. Or just Star Trek The Tour. Star Trek R, circle R. Um, makes its North American debut January 18th, which is coming up very soon, at the Queen Mary Dome in Long Beach, California. Interactive exhibit lets guests explore the Star Trek universe through show-based simulators and multimedia attractions, plus the world's largest collection of Star Trek sets, costumes, and props. William Shatner is the celebrity ambassador. So, um... What they're doing is taking this thing on tour throughout the United States. It's starting in Long Beach. And Canada. And Canada. I think, um, given geography, probably it will be coming to San Francisco not too long after they're done in Long Beach. Right. And I think if you go to one of the sites or something, it does list dates. It does have some dates. Somewhere. Yeah. And they, they, um, from what I was seeing, they are adding more cities Mm -hmm. all the time. And the exciting thing is Bill is going to make appearances along the way. He's not, like, going to be there every day or right. it's in every city, but... He will be making appearances at various times throughout the tour's multi-city run. Uh, Star Trek The Tour promises to be the largest, most interactive, and entertaining Star Trek event ever presented to the public, Mr. Shatner said. This will truly be an impressive experience for the whole family, and I am so happy to be associated with it. Thank you, Bill. Um, so the tour hits, it starts off in Long Beach for a limited engagement and will run through February 17th. Following the Long Beach, Los Angeles engagement, the next four cities will be San Francisco, Yay! Minneapolis, St. Paul, Chicago, and Detroit. So I think we're next after Los Angeles. And when does it close in LA? Uh, February 17th. So sometime. So about a week later, I Yeah, think. I would say by the time <sighs> we move all that crap. What an exciting field trip that will oh, be. Oh, I can't wait. We, you know, if it's going to be in San Francisco for like a month, we should probably go at least twice. Yeah. I would say. Um, I'll read a little bit more. Um, highlights include the chance to take a ride through the adventure in four full motion show-based flight simulators, uh, multimedia encounter theater, uh, to sit on a full-size Enterprise bridge from the original series, have their photo taken and superimposed with an image of the original cast, um, detailed recreations of the original sets, uh, the ability for guests to star with the original cast in an episode of their choice. <gasps> That's what we were talking about! Watch themselves interact with Star Trek icons such as Spock and Scotty. Guests can take home a DVD of their cameo to share with family and friends. Uh, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Uh, uh, ex- equal in size to nearly two football fields filled with 250 tons of sets, props, costumes, and creations. This just goes on and on and on about all this stuff. Um, so it's going to be pretty freaking awesome, I'm thinking. Let me see if there's a little more information here. Um, 
blah, 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 blah. Okay. Well, anyway, I'll put up a link to this. There's just tons and tons of information. So it's going to be coming to, as they say, a theater near you, except it's not a theater. And we'll definitely be going. Oh, so yeah. if anybody gets to go to the one in Los Angeles, please report back to us about it because it's opening January 18th, which is pretty soon. That's right. You can buy your tickets in advance. Um, you, exclusive pre-sale for the American Express card members. Thanks a lot. So, uh, yeah, let us know about that. So that is very, very, very exciting. That well, you know cool. what I'm thinking, too, mm-hmm. is maybe we should combine it with a, a quick trip yeah. to the Museum of Modern Art where oh. they have that uh, junk wrote us about oh, this, yes, that yes. video real slowed down yes. of, of Captain Kirk kissing people. I would love to see that. I looked all over the web to get more information about that, and I couldn't find it. I found just a tiny little bit, and it's there until February something, I think. Yeah. I, I might have even sent you an email. Who okay. knows? Okay, well, let's go see that. That's yes. Fun. So anyway, Star Trek The Tour, very, very exciting news. And if you're in the Bay Area... Now, in January, mm-hmm. you can go to this uh, kissing thing at the mm-hmm. Museum of Modern Art, mm-hmm. which is more than worthwhile. <laughs> so we're thinking that this is the set yeah. that that guy got at auction mm-hmm. and has combined it with other things. I'm kind of surprised that he and the wax figure guy haven't gotten together. Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like this is going to include any wax figures, but you never know. We'll find we'll out. have us. We're there. better than wax yeah, figures. Yeah, we'll go. And you can be sure that we'll we'll provide a report. I mean, if they let, oh, they probably won't let you take recording stuff in. But I was thinking, you know, we could have the recorder in our pocket and do it, you know, with the lapel things, which people probably wouldn't notice. It would look like a phone. Uh huh. So maybe, I don't know. We'll see. Um, in other news, yes, Bill was nominated for a Golden Globe. Yay! Yay! So that was nice. Um, let's see. And I think he might also be up for, like, a Screen Actors Guild Award. Really? He's up for two awards right now. Mm-hmm. I can't keep track of all of them. How do these stars keep track of uh, all he of was, them? Oh, he was on the list in the Supporting Actor category for a TV series, miniseries, or movie. If he wins, it'll be the Shat's second Golden Globe. He took home the Kudo. Can you even say that? In 2005 for Boston Legal, then in his first season, now in its fourth. Shatner has also won two Emmy Awards for the part of Denny Crane. Um... Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, Sunday, January 13th, which is also coming up really soon. Wow. So, uh, we'll see if he wins. Are they going to be able to do it with the, the screenwriters? You know, that's strike? a really good question because the, the strike is really um, holding up a lot of things mm-hmm. that are happening. And speaking of the strike, I posted a couple things to the blog, and one of which was that there was sort of a Star Trek day yes. out on the, the lines there, on the picket lines, and they got a lot of Trek-related and involved people, including some of the actors. Um, George Takei was there, and Nichelle was there, and Will Wheaton was there, and uh, Harlan Ellison was there. Of course, he's been very active in the strike so far, because uh, he's always been right up there pushing for writers' rights. So, it was good to see a little Trek support, and it got a lot of coverage in the paper, which I think was the purpose of that, was to show. Right. So, uh, they, they, I've been reading about it. They've been having all kinds of, of theme days all yeah. throughout this. Um, but at the Trek one, there was one picture of a guy, did you see this, with a big sign uh-huh. that, um, that said... Um, you know, DVD residuals or whatever it is that, you know, they're actually asking for. And then underneath it said, and Shatner in Star Trek Eleven. And then underneath that it said, not an official Writers Guild demand. <laughs> 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 totally cracked me up. But it was perfectly fitting with, you know, having Trek that's Day great. for the writers. Yeah, that's totally cool. That's really funny. Cool, man. All right. Uh, we were going to talk about one other thing, and now I can't remember what I've it got is. It. Oh, that's why you can't remember. Cause Good it's for on you lines. on your computer. This is under the heading of "Oh my God, does Bill ever shill?" <laughs> Bill Starr, excuse me, on the Hollywood Walk of Fame that we've taken pictures of, was falling apart. Had been cracking. 
and uh, they are selling the pieces. <laughs> and the, the the deal was, um, I'm trying to remember it, and it was talked about in great detail on the Shatner board, mm-hmm. um, that it was falling apart, and you had to raise money mm-hmm. to to repair it. Yeah. And, uh, and so they did. But apparently, the person who took the old pieces is, like, auctioning them. Really? And Bill was shilling for this, because it's not, quote-unquote, his star. It doesn't belong to him. And apparently the pieces belong to whoever picked them up. <laughs> wow, and, um, a certain that's interesting. a percent of, it, of the money raised from this was going to go to Bill's charity. But, um... You know, the the Shatner board, the, the naivete of some of the people there is just amazing, you know, that couldn't Bill stop them from doing this? And aren't those pieces his? And why isn't he getting a, a bigger cut? And, of course, Bill's attitude was, you know, a, a, a 60% cut for the charity is better than nothing or something, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but so Bill was shilling oh my God. For, uh, his, his, uh, for the repairs and... and uh, all this to the the Walk of Fame star. Cause, uh, and they did have a picture of it on the Shatner board oh. with a big crack in it. It was like, oh, my God. Didn't have a crack when we were there, did it? That, I don't think so. Well, you could check our YouTube video to find out, I mm-hmm. suppose. No, I don't think it had a crack in it. I don't think it did. I was just Googling to find out um, if there was anything in here about, like, uh, how much it was going for or anything else like that. But I, I don't see that. And it's probably gone uh, I'm, fairly I'm far sure. back in the forum, so... Uh. I doubt that it's still on the first page because that was some time ago, but anyway. That's really funny. <laughs> oh, Bill. Bill will show for anything. And well, especially if it, uh, you know, gets him, gets well, his charity. It gets his charity stuff, which is, of course, the most important thing. So that is. we're very happy about yeah. that. Okay. So, um, uh... There have been a few things posted to to Shatner Vision. There is, if you want to go look at it, there is like a New Year's greeting from Bill. And the funny thing is, it's in front of the phoniest golden Christmas backdrop you've ever seen. And what makes it especially funny is it's still, and it's got a fire in the fireplace. But, it, you know, the flames uh-huh. aren't moving and leaping uh-huh. and dancing. I think it's just... He's standing in front of a picture, like, you know, they're going to take his picture for the family Christmas card or something. Oh, that's so funny. What do you think Christmas was like at Bill's house? Chaos. <laughs> With Bill and the kids and the and grandkids the and, the, and, the and the dogs and everything. Yeah. Do you think he tried deep frying a turkey again like he did a couple of years ago? Um, I don't know. I bet I don't he know. did. But I, I, from, you know, his comments his, his daughters have made, he's insane around the grandchildren. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, more insane than he is around <laughs> anyone else. And I remember one of them, when her kids were, were quite small, talking about, you know, he would come over and play with them. And then he'd go home. He'd leave. And she's like, thanks, Dad. You know, because their kids are now, like, on a sugar high from Grandpa. <laughs> great Santa Claus. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine him playing Santa? I wonder if he has ever dressed up as Santa for his kids or his grandkids. He would just be the best Santa Claus ever. Oh, because he he would totally get into it. He'd be the hammiest Santa. He would. He would. And he would have that big beard. And he's already got the big belly. So he'd have to do that. And the hat and the boots and everything. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be fun to sit on his lap? (laughs) I think it would be awesome. And he'd have a big cigar. A big Santa cigar. (laughs) 
I'd be that kind of Santa Claus. I'm kind of surprised they have never put like him and Spader in Santa outfits, have they, for the balcony scene? I don't on think so. On the Christmas so. show? I don't think so. But no. um, I'm just thinking about Bill dressed up as Santa and how yeah. fun that would be. Well, and he's got the big jolly he cheeks, does, too. He does, a red, little red face, you yeah. know, like that. And a little twinkle in his eye. little twinkle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be great. He would make a great Santa. He would make an awesome Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> He'd certainly make my Christmas wishes come true. <sighs> Well, on that note, let's take a little break. Okay. Let's do our thing, and then uh, we're going to come back with some deep philosophical questions. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. People, pay attention and write it down this time. Comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. Email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com. This entire podcast recorded on an Apple PowerBook with GarageBand. This is TSFPN.com, the sci-fi podcast network. You found the best podcasts in the universe. We're eating cookies. Yeah, Wait, good ones. They're eating cookies that my mom made. They're really good. They're called Butterhorns. They're space cookies. They are space cookies. And um, ma- making these cookies, she always, I used to help her make these when I was little. And these cookies are a big pain in the ass to make because they have so much butter in them. Mm-hmm. And when you're making them... You know, you have to put the dough down and roll it out. And while you're doing it, you have to put the rest of the dough back in the refrigerator because otherwise it will melt. It's that much butter. Wow. I know. It's like a pound of butter or something. They're awfully good. Anyway. So um, we have some email from, from our good friend Jamie Dunst, who's always sending us really interesting emails. Oh, he also sent an email that I just wanted to read really quickly. Um, but he... Um, sent us something about Captain Kirk being referenced in Superman comics that I thought was really funny. So he said, um, he couldn't find the source. Check this out. It's from the Adventures of Superman number 506. Um, He says, I'm not going to get into the whole plot of the story, but at the end, when Superboy is trying to figure out what to do, he flies off using the classic quote, second star from the right end straight on till morning. Superman replies by saying, Peter Pan, how appropriate. Superboy replies, huh? What are you talking about? Captain Kirk said that. So thanks for that. That was good. Well, you know what? A lot of people think Gene Roddenberry is the author of um, Time is the Fire in Which We Burn, that that's a quote from him. Really? Because it's used in Star Trek Generations. Uh And it's actually, I forget the name of the poet, but it's from a a poem, you know, from like Mm -hmm. 100, 150 years ago. Um, It's also interesting that... um, Talk about Star Trek entering the pop culture. There have been a number of academic papers about Lincoln mm-hmm. in which they attribute something to him that he never said, but the Lincoln character said in the Star Trek episode. No way. Yes. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yes. And that wasn't even real Lincoln. That was a, 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 an alien uh, construct out of Kirk's brain. It was an av- avatar of Lincoln on a sci-fi TV show. That is so crazy. Yep. Wow, I had no idea. 
Okay. My brain's boggling a little about mm-hmm. that. But the Superman thing is great because it's a crossover it of is. Pop, pop cultures. Star that. Trek's pop culture is in Superboy's reality. Yes. I love that. Okay. Okay. So here's from Jamie Dance. He says, I have a question. Um, what is your favorite Trek uniform? He says, I'm sure you were probably going to say TOS uniforms, but I wanted to know in case it was from another show or if your favorites were the TOS uniforms. But um, you really like another uniform almost as much. So he says, I'll just give you his opinion. Oh, do you want to talk before I read the rest of it? Yes! Okay, so I had my hand up. Oh. My favorite TOS uniform <laughs> is the rippetest shirt ever. <laughs> Somehow I knew you were going to say that. Did you? I did. Okay, read the rest. Um, Jamie says, uh, I'm a big fan of the Starfleet uniforms used from First Contact and at the end of DS9. Not sure why, but I really like the darker uniforms for some reason. Before that, though, I really liked the uniforms from Wrath of Khan. I thought the jackets were just really cool for some reason. So this is a good question. Um, I have to say, for me, there's a huge difference between the TOS uniforms and everything else. Oh, yes. Like... You can't even compare them because no, just... everything else looks more military. It does. It really does. So and those those basically look like velour pajamas. They do series. look like velour pajamas. So I I, re- I love the TOS uniforms. Mm-hmm. I really do because they're so bright and they're so iconic and they're so instantly recognizable. You know, I was thinking about that when we were and they're really very fairly simple. They are. When we were talking with the the folks who were doing warp speed and we talked a little bit about the uniforms, it's mm-hmm. like all you have to do is put somebody in a pair of black pants with a colored shirt. And it's a TOS uniform. Yeah. Like, that's all you really need. Mm-hmm. Someone in a red shirt or a blue shirt or a yellow shirt, like the Wiggles, and they look like they're Star Trek uniforms. Also, wait, I've been meaning to tell you this for so long. Okay, on our cable TV, we get on demand, and uh-huh. you go through all these different things, and there's, yeah, you know, yeah. groupings, HBO on demand, this on demand. There's a Wiggles on demand. Really? I'm afraid to watch it. Wow, that's a little scary. But back to the TOS <laughs> uniforms. The other nice thing about those original mm-hmm. uniforms is... Except for a few little things like the fact that they wore boots and that there was braid on officers' mm-hmm. sleeves, it, they weren't military looking at all. And no. I think that made the show more accessible. Mm-hmm. They were clearly uniforms, but they weren't uniform uniforms. Mm-hmm. So I, I love those uniforms. Now, as for the everything else category, I kind of agree with Jamie. I liked the uniforms that they used um, on DS9. They were they were a darker fabric. They, I like the jackets that they had. I always thought that was a good idea to have a jacket that you could actually mm-hmm. take off and put on. And you could mm-hmm. have it off, but you could still sort of look like you were wearing it. And um, I definitely liked when on TNG they sort of switched from the first season ones, which were kind of goofy looking because they had those rounded necklines and the, the shoulders were, were... And the dress uniform was an actual dress. Those were really bad. <laughs> but later on, I thought the TNG ones actually looked pretty good. And of course, I loved it as everyone else when they finally got Troy out of those stupid dresses and put her into a regular blue yes. Starfleet uniform. Yes. Um, I think other than the original TOS uniforms, uh, my favorites are the movie era ones. And I have to confess, I am not... I don't know the costumes to that detail where I could tell you the difference between the ones in Wrath of Khan as opposed mm-hmm. to Search for Spock. But I know, um, I love the Wrath of Khan uniforms. They are more military, but they're still very, very mm-hmm. interesting. Um, and I love that leather jacket Kirk wears oh, yeah. in Search for Spock. No, that's not a uniform, but... Yeah, no, I like that too. I agree. I'm trying to remember... Um, what they wore in Enterprise, and I don't even know. Like, I can't even mentally summon up a picture. I can. It's um, it's drab. The um, They're not 
if I'm remembering correctly, and what I'm picturing in my mind was worn by Scott Bakula, is uh, they're, they're a, a, a charcoal sort of gray yeah. with black on the, the shoulders, kind of in the, the way the, the, mm-hmm. the black was in the TNG, you know, how it was just that shoulder yeah, yeah. area. It was that sort of thing. And they actually look almost, um, I don't know, workman-like, hmm. you know. That That's sort of thing. Okay. Except, of course, for T'Pol, who was wearing a cat suit the entire time. <sighs> so ridiculous. I think the thing about the um, the later uh, uniforms that they had in First Contact and, and DS9 was that um, they were looser. And they actually looked more like work clothes to me. Mm-hmm. Like, they were still uniformy, but they the material was a little bit thicker. They weren't kind of painted on. And they actually looked like comfortable clothes that you mm-hmm. could wear for a whole shift of work and not feel like... You know, mm-hmm. you were being all constricted or it was clutching at your neck or something. Well, that's the other thing about, like, the, the TNG uniforms and even the, the the TOS ones. But, like, the TNG ones, the shirts look to me like they would be difficult to get into. Yeah, yeah. Like, you would have to have someone... Helping you. Helping you to get into it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I remember reading that those first season uniforms actually caused back problems for a lot of people because they were so tight. Really? And they would pull, you know, you kind of had to fight against them. To, to um, stand up straight and sit up straight. Like, well, that was bad costume design. Really? <laughs> so that seemed fairly stupid. Um, so, yeah, so that that's the, the question about mm-hmm. the uniforms. So I'd be curious to know what other people think yeah. about the uniforms. Yeah. Finnegan. <laughs> that those, sh- those really weren't, weren't great uniforms. We could also get into some of our, our favorite TOS, you know, costume dramas. Like, you know, I love Kirk and what he wears in Return of the Archons. That's, oh, that's And slick. then his international male outfit in the Nazi episode. <laughs> With his tight jeans and his blue yeah, work shirt. Yeah, and uh, uh, Bread and Circuses. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. t-shirt. Shows off his arms. Yep. So we like non-uniforms, too. <laughs> or just no shirt at all. Uh, yeah, that totally well, works for oh, me. Oh, oh. Totally works for me. Not, no better uniform than his birthday suit. Yeah. Um, did you want to go on to the second question? Yes. This, yes. Okay. So he, Jamie also asks, um, I know you guys are all about TOS, but what spin-off show? I like the fact that he calls them spin-off shows. They are. It's like Rhoda. Was your favorite <laughs> to watch? I think I know which is your least favorite, which is Enterprise. And yes, mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. But what one did you actually enjoy? <laughs> well, um, the only other one I've seen all the episodes of is TNG. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to tell you a little bit about that, when that first came on, I was like, oh, cool, you know, mm-hmm. more Star Trek. And so I watched the first episode when it was first shown, and I went, well, you know, who cares? And basically, I wanted there to be more Kirkish, mm-hmm. a Kirk-type person. And there wasn't, and so I quit watching it. And then, I don't know, three or four years later, um, a friend of mine was totally into it and was talking about it a lot and that it was really good, you know, so I kind of, I started watching it. Mm-hmm. And so I was watching the first few seasons in reruns at the same time the new ones were coming mm-hmm. on once a week. Mm-hmm. So I have seen them all and, and I like it. I even have, you know, some favorite episodes, but I can't say that any of the regular characters drew me in. Mm-hmm. I mean, their guest characters were fantastic, but part of the reason they were fantastic was that the regular characters were written to be fairly bland, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'd agree. And um, I think, I can't remember if I, I talked about this on the show, but I'll say it again. I, my experience is very similar to yours. 
I, but I, I stuck with the first season. I uh-huh. like, I just tried really hard to watch it and like it, hoping it would get better. And I remember getting into an argument with someone at the end of the first season when I said, I am never going to watch the show again because every other goddamn episode was about Wesley saving the ship. And it mm-hmm. was just ridiculous. And, you know, even Will Wheaton says now it was ridiculous how often they made this whiny little kid be the mm-hmm. hero of the show. It's like, these are Starfleet officers. They're supposed to solve their own problems. Right, right. And not have some kid solving them. So I got very frustrated. And then um, a couple of years later, it was the same thing. It, it was on, um, here in the Bay Area, it was on Channel 12, um, which was the, the UPN station, mm-hmm. right? And I was in graduate school, so I had weird hours. So I, when I was home in the early afternoon, it was on twice. And then the new episodes were on in the evening. Mm-hmm. So some days I got to watch three whole oh episodes in a day. So I caught up with a lot of stuff, plus I was watching the new ones. And so I got to see them all, and I know I've seen them all more than once. And, um, I, you know, I, there are one, there are some episodes that I think are brilliant, and mm-hmm. I really, really like it. And I, I agree with you that some of the guest shots were tremendous. Like, I love John Delancey as mm-hmm. Q, who's great. But I never connected with any of those characters in the way that I did with the TOS characters. Um, or and, even in the way I've connected with other TV shows' characters, because yeah. I know my connection to TOS is kind of extreme. Yeah. Um, and I watched... Um, DS9, and I've talked about how much I like DS9, and I followed that all the way through, and I, I like that better than TNG in some mm-hmm. ways, just because it was much more character-driven and, and weird in some ways, mm-hmm. and more about the aliens, so I like that. And I probably watched half of Voyager, and kind of gave up on it, because it got kind of convoluted, and, and it it seemed like it was a very much a one-trick pony. It's like, mm-hmm. how often were they going to play the trick of, oh yeah, we're going to make it back to the Alpha Quadrant. Oh, no, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, we're going to make it back. Uh, no, we're not. And they just played that card one too many times. So, just, well, no. And then Enterprise, no. Well, like I say, I watched, you know, the first episode of TNG. So when DS9 came on, I watched the first episode of that and I went, you know, that didn't even seem like Star Trek at all mm. to me, you know. So I didn't watch that. And then I've seen, you know, like the Trials and Tribulations mm-hmm. and maybe one other DS9 episode. I don't know. Uh, Voyager, again, I was going, okay, I've watched the first episode of all the others. I will watch the first episode of this. I had to turn it off halfway through. Mm-hmm. I could not stand Kate Mulgrew's voice. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I've liked her in other things. But that voice was just like nails on a chalkboard for me. So, you know, that was it. Um, I watched then, like, the final episode of it, just so I'd know what people mm-hmm. were talking about. And I saw, like, a couple other bits. I'd still like to see the... Uh, the Lizard Baby episode, just because I think that's probably hysterical. <laughs> um, it's interesting that you say somebody got mad at you for saying you're not going to watch TNG ever again, because I watched the whole first two-hour episode of Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And I went, what a load of crap. I hate this. And we've talked about that. I walk out on movies. So I sat there for two mm-hmm. hours watching something just because it was Star Trek and going, why am I doing this? And I said, this show sucks. And I said so publicly. And I lost a friend because, I don't know, there is certain thinking among Trekkies. And this makes me kind of crazy about if it's called Star Trek, we have to give it a more than mm-hmm. the shot we'd give something else, which I felt I did when I watched it for two hours. Or we have this obligation to continue to support it. I'm going, no, because then they continue to turn out crap. Which they did. And <laughs> the thing that cracked me up was this person who, who you know, pretty much stopped speaking to me over it. Uh, I Maybe two years, three years into its run, you know, posted something about, well, 
I've had it. I've really tried, but now I'm not going to watch it anymore. And I thought, so you making the decision two and a half years in is valid, but me two hours in is not? Pissed me off. Definitely. Definitely. So, uh, so that pretty much sums it up, I mm-hmm. think. Um, I, I, I think that there are some episodes of DS9 that you would enjoy, and I still want to watch... I want us to watch the Klingon one because I think you would dig that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have to find it because I don't remember what it was called or anything. It's but called the Klingon one. It's called the Klingon episode. There were some others that were good. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much our take on it. They haven't been, you know, I'm just thinking, they haven't really been showing a lot of Trek on the cable stations. I think... Except for the remastered, which comes on at right. very strange times. So they've been showing that. And then they had been showing... Um, TNG on Spike. Right. But only like once a week or something. It wasn't every night. Um, and there's one every now and then I'll run across is showing Enterprise, and I can't even think what uh, station it is, but who, who cares? cares? <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. So, finally, what's our, our final what's our philosophical other thing? question? Yes, I'm going to have another cookie while you're reading Okay. That. This was posted, because I was eating cookies while you were yeah. eating Jamie's, <laughs> um, so you can catch up. This was posted to an online group that I am part of. And it was posted by, excuse me, I've been drinking, drinking soda, and so it's all bubbling up on me, um, Thilati, who we know. Mm-hmm. And she said, so Itty and I were having one of our rambling morning convos, and the talk got around to who the original 12 Starship captains were. Remember, Kirk says there's only 12, mm-hmm. and we know he's in charge of one. So since we didn't have a clue, we came up with our list of our own fine gentlemen that we thought totally espoused the epitome of captaindom or whatever the heck you want to call it. Some were chosen strictly for their hotness quotient and others for their presence, but all in all, we think we've come up with a hell of a roster. They did first officers as well. Um, And remember, if you feel our choices don't measure up, we've left a slot on the roster for you to fill in in the blank. So here's their list. Mm -hmm. One, Jim. (laughs) Despite Captain Pike, we all agree that Jim is the man. Yes. Two, Yule Brenner. <laughs> That's a great choice. Yep. A lot of these are people who, that we kicked around for who could have played sure, sure. too. Uh, three, Robert Conrad. Definitely. Four, Henry Simmons. Who's Henry Simmons? I don't know. And the comment is, because damn, please go look him up and I'm sure you'll agree with me. Okay. Okay. Denzel Washington. Yes. Uh, Mark Harmon. Okay. He okay. was good on Jag. I like Jag. Ed Harris. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Rock. Mm, okay. <laughs> uh, James Earl Jones. Okay. Edward James Olmos, who plays the captain yes. in Battlestar Galactica. Uh-huh. Sam Elliott. Okay. Okay. Now, here's what I was thinking. Uh-huh. Actually, we do, we do know who commanded a couple others. Uh-huh. Because of uh, Commodore Decker. Right. And Commodore Wesley. That's right. So now we're down to nine. Because... Mm-hmm. Well, was Garavik captain of a starship? Yeah, but he died. Right. So we're talking about who are the other ones ones. along with Kirk. How do you spell Simmons? S-I-M-M-O-N-S? Yes, Henry Simmons. Okay. I'm looking him up on IMDb, and I'm trying to... He was in NYPD Blue. Is there a picture? Yeah. He's a pretty handsome looking guy. Okay. I'm trying to figure out what he would be in. I think I've seen him in some. Okay, well, he's been in... Shark, he's been in uh, NYPD Blue, Spartacus, Spartacus, New York Undercover, Saturday Night Live, okay, Tony Danza Show, 
been on the Late Show, Sharon Osbourne Show. I, okay. Okay. So he's cool. I, I'll, I'll agree with that. Although I know nothing about him. So if we're gonna play this, uh-huh. <laughs> do we want to restrict our picks to people who, in the late '60s, would have been? Well, they didn't. The right age. I know, but I'm saying. Okay. Or not. Okay. Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. I think it could be just about anybody. See, I would never have picked, like, Picard. (laughs) No. He could be Stephen's boss. Eddie Izzard should be captain of the (laughs) fellowship. Yeah. He could do it. Yep. You know who would be a good captain of a starship? Who? John F. Kennedy. Oh, yeah. That's true. That would work. Mm-hmm. Are we so? Are we talking real people or actors now? Whatever, just anybody, anybody, anybody who'd be captain of a starship. Actually, I think Bill Clinton would have been a good starship. Oh yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, you know, in all of the things that she ever wrote, um, Big Miss Sunbeam always referred to him as uh, as Zeus. <laughs> Our country Zeus, and I, I thought that was particularly appropriate, you know, because yeah. he was. He was sort of like this all-powerful guy who had mm-hmm. enormous appetites for everything, for power, for sex, for yeah. food, you know. Yeah. So now I'm trying to think of, you know, I know they ostensibly did not have them, but who would have been good, you know, female starship captains? Oh, let's see. Well, you know, uh, just to go back for a second, I I thought that um, they made a good casting choice in having Kelsey Grammer be captain of of that Mm -hmm. other starship. He was good. Yes, so that's another one. But we don't know that he was current with Kirk on the first five land. Right. Um, Oh, so so this is going to be hard, right? Because we have to come up with... Well, you know, when she was, like, younger, I mean, now she's, you know, practically elderly, but Sharon Glass... Oh, yeah, definitely. I think would be wonderful. I agree. She could definitely do it. That would have been good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, I can't remember her name, and I feel so bad. Um, who was the actress who played um, Mrs. Pinchon on Lou Grant? <gasps> Nancy Marshall. Thank you. Yes. She would have been very good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She would have been very, very good. In fact, Ed Asner would be a real <laughs> interesting starship captain. <laughs> that is true. You know who else who I just saw in a commercial for um, some new stupid kids fantasy movie is Joan Plowright. I always liked her. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't she be good? She's yeah. very authoritative. Uh-huh. A little bit of a control freak, but very, very... You know who'd be really weird? Who? Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Too creepy. I don't want my starship captains to be creepy. You don't. No. Okay, well then, okay, then I want Johnny Depp. Okay. In fact, why he isn't playing Kirk in the new movie. <laughs> because if they want to reimagine Star Trek, let's go for it. And nobody has the most interesting imagination and choices as an actor right now, I think, than Johnny Depp. Nobody surpasses him in that. I, I agree. And making him work. Mm-hmm. Some really weird stuff, he makes it work. I'd agree. That mm-hmm. would be good. I'm still trying to think of other women who could be starship captains. You know who Hollywood would cast as a starship captain in a minute. And I'm not saying I think he'd be good. Who? Tom Hanks. They cast him as everything. That's true. No. <gasps> George Clooney. Oh, he could make it work. He's good. He's got charm and hotness. Mm-hmm. Do you and know- he has the right amount of fun with the stuff he does. That's true. That is very and true. And that really... To me, that's a Kirk essential, speaking is to be enjoying the job. Speaking of George Clooney, um, so my, my friend and co-worker Logan uh, informs mm-hmm. me that um, the big rumor is that George Clooney is actually gay. Have you oh, heard this? 
I, I, I thought that for a long time. Oh, well, <laughs> I didn't know if it was a rumor. I thought no, it was one of those no. rumors that I was peripherally aware of, like the Tom Cruise one. Well, no, he said it to me, and I was like, really? I never heard that. But, you know, I Well, said, has he brought his mother to an award ceremony? Uh, Kevin Spacey has twice. <laughs> to me, that's the dead giveaway. That's the giveaway? Okay. Well, I just, I hadn't considered all the Clooney evidence, and then he was, like, giving me all the stuff. I was like... Well, yeah, I guess that does kind of make sense. Oh, well, I just I always imagined him as so much of a ladies' man. I don't know why. Maybe he's good at, at, at portraying that. that you know? That's true. I mean, he's. Probably... I mean, because um, I don't know why I thought he was because he does play the ladies' man very well. Yeah. yeah. But uh, something, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, there's that website that I occasionally send you links from called Go Fug Yourself. Yes. That has these very snarky comments about it. And they always joke that um, George Clooney is their intern. (laughs) (laughs) They call him Intern George. Intern George. And they always say, you know, like he's bringing them little treats and massaging their feet and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. So now I have it stuck in my head that he's Intern George. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, that that was a bit of a tangent there, but... um, Anyhow, let's see. Who you else? know who'd make the most kicking ass uh, who else? female captain? Who? Catherine Hepburn. Oh, definitely. And not even young Catherine Hepburn, but like the age she was in 68. Mm-hmm. Definitely. See, I think that they were... A tr- well-seasoned... That's what they were trying to go for with Kate Mulgrew. Mm-hmm. But it didn't quite get there. I, I think that that's what they were aiming for. She's just too uptight. Well, yeah, that's just it. The things in Hepburn that came across as core of steel uh-huh. came across as uptight mm-hmm. in Mulgrew. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. Yeah. I want to watch the Philadelphia story again. I haven't seen that in so long. Oh, that was on recently. Was it? I love that movie. She's she's funny. She's hilarious. Oh, she's so funny in that. And her and Cary Grant. Cary Grant I was just going to say Cary Grant. <laughs> yep. He would be good. <laughs> Harvey Keitel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That could work. You know who'd make an incredibly good Trek bad guy? Who? Robert De Niro. <laughs> that is true. I suppose he would. But, you know, I'm having a hard time taking him seriously because of some of the movies that he's done recently, like Stardust, for example. <laughs> he was great in I that. Know, I know he was great in that, but, you know, that... I know that these movies are years and years and years apart, but his role in Stardust and his role in Brazil, sort of... I've never seen him Oh, you've never seen him in Brazil? He's great in Brazil, but it's very hard to take him seriously Mm. because he's such a totally whacked out character in that movie. Mm. Brazil is a great movie. It's very depressing, but it's a great movie. Well, here's the thing about Robert De Niro that I... It just makes me respect him more and more and more and more every time I think about it. You know, he's... he's, We made his name, of course, in all the Scorsese flicks Mm -hmm. and playing... You know, that bad guy, that mafia guy. Different nuances and iterations mm-hmm. here, but it's a bad mafia guy. Have you seen Analyze This? No. Is he funny in that? Here's the thing. He's playing a bad mafia guy mm-hmm. who goes into psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. Billy Crystal is its analyst, and De Niro steals the entire movie by giving the exact same performance, <laughs> but for comic effect. Oh. And... You can't even see him him turning it. Mm-hmm. It is so funny. And then when he finally goes for the comic effect, which is the guy cries, it's hysterical. It's so funny to see somebody who can fine-tune their performance that mm-hmm. that sharply and that with that subtlety. 
It's really great. Because, you know, a lot of people who can play drama cannot play comedy mm-hmm. to save their souls. Dying is easy. Comedy is hard. <laughs> yep. Um, you know who else would make a really good captain? Who? Ileana Douglas. Yeah. Wouldn't she be good? She'd be really She's good. She's good. She could be fig, actually. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they think, you know, and that's a nice thing is, you know, like they were saying, some of them they went for them just because they had hotness and others mm-hmm. because they had authority. And that's the nice thing is we're all aware that the the starship captain has to be a well-rounded mm-hmm. character, that there's more to it than just being the tough guy or mm-hmm. the... the Guy who can shout the loudest or whatever. Yeah. You know, what I think... Is, oh, oh! What? This is the one I'd want to serve under. Who? Spencer Tracy. Oh, uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. I think he'd be fantastic. Um, what you were just saying, so remember when we were talking to the Warp Speed guys again, and, mm-hmm. and um, I think it was um, John who was saying that the thing about... People in Starfleet, especially the captains, is that they're completely competent. Yes. They can do anything. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking about the the, um, episode we watched last time, Court Martial. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that that they really highlight in that episode is that to be a starship captain, you always have to make the right decision all the time. You can never panic. Mm -hmm. So when you think about people in that position of starship captain, you think about people who are never going to panic, who are always going to have that that control, you know, you, mm-hmm. you can't have starship captains who are people who are going to freak out over things, who are going to panic or, or give the wrong orders or, and stuff like that. Those people get weeded out at a much lower yes. level. Yes. So anybody who's going to rise that high is by their very nature going to be that sort of well-rounded, interested in lots of things, able to do lots of different things, as opposed to the specialized people that they have underneath them. Mm-hmm. So the captain should be able to run any position on the bridge to a certain extent mm-hmm. and to just know a little bit about everything because that's their job. But he should captain. also know how to pick the right advisors, his bridge officers. Yep. And um, I love that moment in court martial where uh, Kirk says, "This was not my first crisis." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you he's know. been through lots of he's crises. Been through a lot. And and there is also that wonderful thing Commander Stone says, or Commodore Stone about not not a man in a million could do what we've done. Yeah, command a starship. starship. You're right. They give a really good job description. Yeah. In that episode. So I think when you think about actors who could fill that role, you have to think about people who could be in a stressful situation. In a, in a crisis situation and not lose it and convey all of that confidence and intelligence and all of that stuff that, you know, in TOS, Shatner did so well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you never ever get the sense that, that he's going to lose it when he's the captain, except when he's, you know, possessed by an alien or something. There's also the whole idea of the captain will make the tough decision and be willing to live with the consequences. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of puts me in mind of... Uh, Winston Churchill knowing in advance about the bombing of Coventry Mm -hmm. and having to let it go forward because otherwise the Nazis would know that they had cracked the Enigma Code. Mm -hmm. And that was like one of these for the greater good things to have and to have to make that decision Mm -hmm. and live with it, Mm -hmm. knowing what you've done. Mm -hmm. That's really, really tough. Mm -hmm. I agree. And that's what makes that that role so special. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you know, I... You you see a lot of that in um, Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, they do a little bit of kind of 
making it well. You you didn't know, but you made the right decision anyway because it turned out okay. But for the most part, sometimes they make some really hard, hard decisions and just have to say that's the way it is. And, you know, I think for me that's the flaw in a lot of science fiction that I see, Battlestar Galactica aside, is that um, you often see people who are captains of ships, and maybe they're not captains of starships, Mm -hmm. but they're people who clearly could not have attained that position in any real world because either they're psychotic or they fly off the handle, or they can't command authority, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, how did these people get to be captains of ships when they're so flighty and yeah. undependable? It just like that would never happen. You would never have that mm-hmm. situation. I, I don't think anybody could ever rise to that rank. Yeah, and be like that, and, and just too many science fiction movies and, and series and stuff have people in positions of authority who clearly would never be there. Well, and like the the business leader who's so who actually has an arch enemy that he's willing to willing to like fuck his whole business to yeah. get back at this this guy or something, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a TV staple. Yeah, so anyway, and it's interesting that the demons that drive Kirk are his own internal mm-hmm. demons, not these. You know, I've I got a do battle with J.R. Ewing, you know, sort yeah. of thing. <sighs> yeah. And even with Khan, who is presented as his arch enemy, mm-hmm. Khan is the one who draws Kirk into that. Kirk hasn't spent his whole life galloping around hoping to capture the white whale. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, um, let's see. Well, I can't think of any more people on my captain list right now, but I think we should keep thinking about that. Oh, yeah. And, and, of and course, people send we want to hear suggestions. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Who, who else would make a good starship captain? Yeah. Keeping in mind all these qualities they have to have. Yeah. See, and, and I think that's why um, it makes sense that um, Spock didn't want to be a captain, especially at that point in his mm-hmm. career. And even though we find out later on that he is a captain, he only gets to be the captain, I think, after he's gotten more well-rounded as a person. Right, and he, if you, you're thinking of uh, Wrath of Khan, yeah, yeah. explains he is happy to command the Enterprise as a training vessel. Yeah. He does not want to captain it, taking it out on an actual mission mm-hmm. or any of that. Yeah, because that's just, it's not his nature to mm-hmm. be like that. It takes a certain kind of person to want to be out there with the lives of 435 people, depending on mm-hmm. them. And the entire galaxy. And, well, mostly, yeah. Yeah. And all those women. <laughs> Right? Yeah. You know, that's part of it. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, let's ponder that. Let's take another little break, and then uh, let's talk about uh, some stuff that we're going to watch, I think. Okay. Cue the music. a short film, about 15 minutes long, sent to us by Kelly Peoples, mm-hmm. who is one of our listeners, Yes, and uh, she sent it to us some time ago. We just got around to watching it, so as usual, we're, we're behind the, the clock, but um, it's called Daydream Believer, and we both enjoyed it a lot. Oh, it was so much fun. Um, it was about a uh, 
12-year-old girl in 1967 uh-huh. who has, you know, a big crush on Mike Nesmith of the Monkeys. <laughs> the leader of the Monkeys. The leader of the Monkeys. <laughs> and, um, you know, she's going to school and daydreaming in class. And, and then we see her daydreams where there's this grown-up, beautiful uh-huh. version of her. With a really, like, polyester-looking wig. <laughs> yes, and uh, a, a guy playing Mike Nesmith uh-huh. who looks more like Art Garfunkel. Um, you know, they're having their little romance and everything. And I thought she just really, really captured so much of that, that whole 12 year old crush thing that she talks to her raggedy Andy doll, pretending he's Mike and and kisses it, you know, it was really wonderful. And then, um, she gets a teen magazine Uh and she reads it and she's like crushed and she says, why did you tell me you were married? (laughs) So in her daydream, she breaks up with him and he's heartbroken. And then her schoolwork gets better. Uh-huh. And so at the end, go ahead and tell them. At the end, the teacher congratulates her on, on, you know, doing so much better. And she goes back to her chair and she sits down. She's got a big smile on her face and she opens up her binder. And what's in the front of the binder but a picture of Captain Kirk. <laughs> so Captain Kirk inspires you to do better things. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mike just inspires you to be a daydreamer. Goopy daydreamer. Yeah. Totally. 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 So, and it was it was really well done, it and it was shown um, at a couple different festivals and won a prize, um, the best narrative short from Image Fest 1999. Mm-hmm. And uh, we thank Kelly for sending that to us it because was it was really fun. And once again, a crossover of two things: yes, <laughs> the monkeys and Star Trek, because there is that some weird mystic connection between the monkeys and Star Trek. In your mind, there is. Yeah, there, is, there totally. Well, in Jock's mind too, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> But, oh, that was just really, really funny. I, I love, in her fantasy, you know, um, like, Mike takes her to the monkey's pad, where yes. they all live. Right. You know? So, of course, her fantasies are about the Mike Nesmith that's on the TV, like, in the TV show, not him in real life. And I think that's probably true of most fantasies on TV sure. actors, mm-hmm. is your more fantasizing the characters yeah, than the actors. it's so funny. So I, w- one thing I will say, that I'm sure that that girl grows up to write fan fiction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's too bad her name wasn't Amy. <laughs> Amy Rockmorton Smith. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's Hi, guys. Great. What is up? <laughs> <laughs> this was of a much higher quality than that. It's true. So thank you, Kelly, for sending us. We yes. really, really enjoyed that film. Now, the other things, actually, we should talk about this one thing. Um, a long time ago, Echo yes. sent us the Voice of the Planet episodes, and if you remember, she was doing these wonderful commentaries oh. on it. So we watched um, episode three, mm-hmm. uh, The Sacred and the Profane, and the reason we watched that is because of Echo's <laughs> review, in which she says, Bill does push-ups, and they're not girl push-ups, they're not guy push-ups. They are Shatner, Shatner push-ups. push-ups. And so we watched this, and mm-hmm. yes, they, they are. They are Shatner push-ups. Now, for me, the thing that makes them Shatner push-ups is he's doing push-ups clothed, fully clothed. He's not wearing, like, gym clothes or anything. Mm-hmm. They're perfect push-ups. He's got his feet together, his arms regulation width apart. Mm-hmm. He's doing them very slowly, like, you know, he's not whipping through them, and he's got perfect, perfect form. And yet, while he's doing them, he's kind of looking around the room and doing other things, as if doing push-ups is just something he does like breathing. He yeah. doesn't even have to pay attention to doing that. And, he, you know, he knows he can do 100 just or 150, doing, whatever. Just you know. kind of doing them while yeah. he's doing, thinking about other stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's really special. 
And we saw him, like, hanging around with water. Yeah. And then at the end, it teased and taunted us <gasps> like there's going to be the Shatner <sighs> swallow to end all Shatner swallows. He, he makes a big production, of course, with the business about pouring water into this cup. And he's looking at the cup and he's talking to it. And we were, like, so poised for a great big swallow. And it never Happened. Never happened. Uh, oh, boy. Talk about frustrated. But oh anyway, God. so that was great. Thank you, thank you, Echo. And for people who want a more detailed review of that, you should dig back uh, through the blog or, yeah. or through the old shows because yeah. we read it on the air. It was wonderful. Yep. So then our feature presentation. sorry. Was the Twilight Zone episode, Nick of Time. Yes. Now, everybody associates Bill with the terror at mm-hmm. Nightmare at 20,000 Feet or whatever right. it's called. But this is the other one he did, which maybe is a little lesser known. Mm-hmm. And actually, I like better. I do, too. Um, it's young, gorgeous Bill on oh, his honeymoon. So young, so gorgeous. Yes. Oh, oh my God. He and his bride, um, their convertible being towed into Ridgeview, Ohio, mm-hmm. needs fuel pump. It's going to take several hours. So they grow, go across the street to this little cafe and sit in a booth where the the owner, quite the little entrepreneur, <laughs> has found a way to make money off napkin holders, which is he's mounted a little devil head on them. Oh, and I was just saying, if that was my restaurant, I would totally be doing that. I would be putting all kinds of crap in there to get people to put their money in. Yeah, like I said, I would have vibrating seats. You put yeah, totally. <laughs> but anyway, um, you put a penny in, you ask it a yes or no question, a little card pops out and answers it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bill's character, Don, mm-hmm. is a very superstitious guy. He carries a, a rabbit's foot and everything. And in his mind, everything this little devil head says comes true. Although he's the one, as she later points out, providing all the specifics. Mm-hmm. You know, like, will our car be ready on time? And then the thing says, well, that remains to be seen. Right. And, and stuff like that. But... um and so through questioning it, he finds out or he thinks that if they leave the cafe before 3 o'clock, something bad will happen. And she finally talks him into leaving at 5 to 3, and they almost get hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Which is totally his fault, because he runs them right into the middle of the street where this car is, like, tearing down. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't even a near accident. That was him causing them to almost get right. run over. <laughs> so they go back to the cafe, and he's, you know, like, freaking out. Mm-hmm. And she's getting very, very worried about him mm-hmm. that... You know, that he's letting this stupid little machine control him. And then they find out the car is ready, and she says, let's get in the car and go. And he's still asking it questions. Mm -hmm. And she finally tears him away from it by pointing out to him, you know, you make your life what you want. Mm -hmm. You you have, you know, talent and confidence and everything, and you should not be a slave to this stupid superstition. And he says, you're right. They leave, they get in the car, they drive away. And we see another couple come in who are obviously in great distress, Mm -hmm. and they go and start putting money in the machine. And through the questions they're asking, you realize they've been in that town for some time. And they're trapped and they can't leave because the machine won't let them. Then the machine tells them don't leave today or, you know. um, And and, and so it ends there. And it's a a great episode. Mm -hmm. And, oh, my God. He is so gorgeous. He really is. So this is um, some information. Original air date, November 18, 1960. So, so this he, is a very young Bill. A very young Bill. He's like mid-20s. Yes. And looking so incredibly oh gorgeous. God. He has um, just the biggest eyes, I swear. 
and the longest eyelashes mm-hmm. ever. And he has a great toupee, um, slightly longer than his Kirk hair, but it had those blonde streaks in the yeah. front, which are yeah. just so gorgeous. Oh, my God. And he's wearing a really nice sort of polo shirt and uh, sort of high-waisted pants that really showed off his butt. And we mm-hmm. got a lot of butt cleavage. Oh, yeah. And, then and the arm. The arm. The arm. <laughs> It, it was kind of like the arm in Mirror Mirror when, when he reaches yeah. across and he grabs her. So he sort of extends and extend, bicep. big bicep. He must have been doing bicep curls right before that scene. But oh, that oh, man. Maybe we'll try to do a screen cap of the arm. Somebody did do a screen really? cap of the arm and sent it to us. Oh, so we'll have to dig maybe that up. Maybe it was David. I actually think it was David or I think, yeah, I think you may be right. Okay, yeah. we'll have to find that because that arm was just so yeah. impressive. Oh, he's so gorgeous. And, and the other thing is um, there's a. A wonderful scene near the beginning where um, there's a song playing on the jukebox where he puts money in and yeah. gets a song out of the jukebox. And he sort of, you know, takes her in his arms and starts dancing very close. He's pressed right up against her. And it's it's just, it's total Shatner charm and hotness. And another time he goes up behind her and kisses her on the back of the, the neck. neck. And, oh. and he makes a phone call to this guy's secretary and he's doing charm and hotness over the phone. Over the phone. Oh, he's just so good. He's it, wonderful. You know what else have, was interesting to me is um, of the people in this episode, all of whom, you know, do good jobs. There's there's not a, a bad, you know, stand-up bad mm-hmm. actor at all. Um, his style is so much more naturalistic Very. than what was sort of in vogue at the time, mm-hmm. which is a little more stagier, a little stagier, a little more melodramatic. Mm-hmm. And then Bill, with with his business, his way of talking, the things he has going on, the way he handles all his lines and situations are just very believable. You don't have to put yourself in this mood of, okay, I'm watching a TV mm-hmm. show. Completely. He, he's completely natural. Um, just to give a little more information, this was episode um, 43 of season 2 of Twilight Zone, and this episode was written by Richard Matheson, a wonderful writer who wrote many other Twilight Zones mm-hmm. and, and various things. In fact, I think he wrote I Am Legend, now that I'm thinking about really? it. Really? I believe he did, yeah. Um, and the the woman who starred with William Shatner, her name was Patricia Breslin, and we were just going on IMDb, and apparently she was one of those TV actors who in the 50s and 60s was in everything. Mm-hmm. Just and you had a million different parts, and she's very good. Although I have to say she's wearing the world's ugliest dress. It's bad. It's It looks like a giant flouncy tablecloth. <laughs> Which was very much the style then. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, it just looks really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, oh, what a good episode. And, you know, uh, that that episode was completely appropriate for a half an hour show. Mm-hmm. Like, if it had been any longer, it would have been boring. No. But it was kind of like one dramatic thing, and they played it out, and then it was over. And it was like, TV drama should be like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and the other thing is... Um, it's interesting that in that episode, I feel like the Twilight Zone sort of did a twist on itself, mm-hmm. which it focused the story on the people who defeated the the bad thing in the yes. Twilight Zone, but we were left with the image of the couple who didn't. Yeah. Um, I also just love the theme of that episode because it's one that is something I personally live by, which is own your own life. Oh, yeah. You know. If you want something, you go after it. You you make your life what you want it to be. You mm-hmm. can't let someone or something else yeah. do it 
to you or do it for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Well, you know, I was thinking as we were watching this, I wanted to borrow this because I wanted to transcribe some of the things that, that, that his wife says. Mm-hmm. Um, because those are exactly the sorts of things that you have to say when somebody goes to a medium for a reading or gets John Edward or, you know, one of those mm-hmm. fakey psychic people to do it. And it's exactly the same. What she says to him is, you provided all the specifics. All it did was give you vague generalities and say, you know, the answer is evident or this has already been taken care of. You were the one who filled in all the details. And when people buy into that crap or into astrology, it's it's exactly mm-hmm. that. You never get specific answers. And if you ever do get that rare hit, it's a coincidence. Yes. Coincidences happen all the time. Several times in the episode when the machine is supposedly right, and I'm putting that in quotes, he says to her, you know, that's some coincidence. Can you believe that? Mm-hmm. And the answer should always be yes. Yes, that, that is some coincidence. Yes, coincidences happen all the time. Mm-hmm. And you just have to go with that and not think that there's something mystical or special behind it. Right. So I just thought that from... Um, the point of view of Richard Matheson, who's writing the script, all of the words that he gives her to say are just really rational and well-presented, and he doesn't hear any of it Mm -hmm. because he's so focused on believing that this thing, you know, like, you just can't listen to reason when you're so invested in something like that. So I just, I really like that. Yes. It was really very, very good. I I thought so, too. It's one of my favorites, and and, uh, as we've said, Bill is so young, so gorgeous, and doing such... A beautiful, polished job. We've talked about this before. We've seen some things even earlier than this, acting jobs, um, you know, by him. And he is, you don't see him learning his craft no. or or needing some polish, you know. He's, he's, he's just there. there. He's totally, totally there. there. He really is. He just puts himself into it and lives it. He, mm-hmm. in, he inhabits his character in a in a very comfortable way. He is, and he's so appealing. Mm-hmm. Like, as a guy, it really just comes across that um, he's the kind of guy you'd like to know. He's Even when he's interacting with the minor characters, the guy who runs the cafe mm-hmm. and various people, he's just so, like, pleasant. And that's just so refreshing to see yeah. people like that. You'd like, oh, he's a, I'd like to know him, you mm-hmm. know? He would be a good guy to know. Yeah. And then you find out that he has this other weird level of superstition right. underneath it, which is interesting. you got to kind of wonder, too, about the guy who owns this cafe. We've been saying <laughs> he's making great money off a little devil thing. But um, is he completely unaware of this other couple coming in in a panic? And God knows how many other people have been affected by the, the napkin holder. It's true. Well, you know, I, I Is the napkin holder the veil of this town? The, I, the Landru of this town? I was waiting. I was actually waiting for, for Bill's character to ask him something about that. Uh-huh. Like, you know, hey, mister, do these things really predict the future or something like that? And yet it never comes up. Or to have the camera, like... Um, Pull him real close on the devil head at the end, and then it turns into the, the head of the cafe <laughs> owner going, ha, 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 you know. The cafe owner seems a pretty innocuous character, yeah. although he does he push, gets, He's real happy to get a good tip. He, he, <laughs> and pushes, he pushes chicken fried steak. He pushes steak. the chicken fried steak on them pretty hard, but yeah. that's about it. That's it. He gives them pennies. Yeah. You know. Well, he knows they're coming right back. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I would definitely recommend that people go and watch that, seek it out. Oh, yeah, and you can, can. find that really easily. Good. You know, the I think the whole Twilight Zone is on Netflix and yeah. lots of places. Oh, Bill. Oh, young, gorgeous, wonderful Just Bill. so lovely to see him. Oh. So beautiful. Yes. And so talented so and so charming and Charming hot. and charming and hotness and all that With stuff. such a great butt! Yeah. That was some butt. Oh, and for the record, we both agreed he did her. 
Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, yes. Because, just because. Because he's Bill. And that's what he does. <laughs> that's his job. It's pretty much, he comes in the first day of work and signs in uh-huh. and looks around, kind of uh, picks one out, and then the only thing left is my trailer or yours. Yeah, yeah. And then it yeah. happens. And everybody knew it. And everybody's happy. Yeah. Well, who wouldn't be? <laughs> Except maybe her husband. I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He just knows she had this good gig that made her real happy. Yeah. And she then, came home smiling every day. And then the director didn't know that Bill was banging his girlfriend on no. the side either. But, no. you know. But, you know. He didn't need to know that. Other people did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that was great. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. For, I think for so. This time. That was really fun. I'm glad we got to watch that. Um, so until the next time, um, send us in whatever homework we gave you, because I honestly can't remember what that might be right now. Oh, other captains, other right? Captains. That was that discussion. Yeah, yeah. And let us know what you think about Nick of Time, if you've seen yes. it. Yes. Because it was really good, right? So right. That's it? Okay. That's it. That's it. That's it.